This is The Varsity, a sports podcast from The Record North Shore, your nonprofit local news site. Howdy, folks, and welcome to the latest episode of The Varsity Podcast, a podcast where we discuss everything involving North Shore high school sports. From the Friday Night Drive, I'm Michael Dwojek here with The Record North Shore founding member Joe Coglin, as we have a special episode for you guys this week. Um, obviously I'm sure many of you know who are tuning into the podcast. Loyola is your 8A state champions after defeating Lincoln Way East, uh, 13-3 on Saturday. So, um, we're going to do sort of a, of a, of a championship, you know, episode, talk about this Loyola team to win, um, what this season meant, how it ranks and all that kind of stuff. So, um, we're going to do our regular four quarter format. We're in the first quarter. We recap everything that was this game this past Saturday, um, this championship season for Loyola. Um, in the second quarter, you hear from uh, Coach Holosek and a bunch of players um, at their championship press conference. Um, after uh, They talk about the win and um, bold calls and that kind of stuff. Um, in the third quarter, we play our weekly game of way or no way, but we're going to focus on Loyola on this one. Um, we have some uh, questions about that. Um, and then the fourth quarter, we wrap up the football season by um, giving some last thoughts and then moving on to the winter season as we've got basketball and wrestling and other sports happening right now um, as we enter the month of December. But um, let's start the festivities off here, Joe, with uh, the first quarter of this podcast where um, we discuss a 13-3 to win by the Ramblers. Loyola um, runs out to a quick 7 nothing lead after getting a stop on defense. Um, on the first play of Loyal for Loyal offensively, um, they go with the trick play and do a flea flicker, and um, Sterney hits four for uh, I think it was an 80-yard touchdown pass um, to uh, give Loyola an early seven nothing lead, um, and then uh, able to uh, uh, cash in on a couple more points there to uh, um, get the win for Loyola in the state championship that game. But um, Joe, this kind of it wasn't as close as we wanted it to. Maybe we said it was going to be, but um, it felt as close, especially where um, Lincoln Way East had uh, some good opportunities there. But um, the Loyola defense uh, really is able to uh, um, stymie them, not really let them do anything, especially once they got into the red zone those last couple times. Yeah, it was really that clutch performance. It, you know, Ben don't break, and when it really mattered most, uh, that Loyola defense really stepped up. It was. Uh, Rough and tumble championship game, kind of what we expect from these two teams. Just, you know, a black and blue battle, um, uh, bruising, if you will. And um, uh, that first play, just, you know, what a what a momentum gift for, for Loyola and uh, a surprise. And so you, so you got to, you know, link ways chasing the whole game. Um, and I thought they did a pretty good job of moving the football, especially in the first half. Um, they dominated time of possession. Of course, that's because Loyola took about two seconds on their first possession. But um, it was just, you know, big play after big play on the defensive end inside their own territory for, for the Loyola Ramblers, whether it was, you know, Emmett McCarthy's sack or a pass breakup by Joe Auer or, uh, you know, just stuffing the run all, all – stuffing the run for a team that likes to run the ball. Now, Loyola gained some – uh, East gained some yardage, but they never got big chunks. Uh, never more than I, I think five or six. I wonder what their longest run was. Um, actually, most a lot of their yardage came from Tisher on the scrambles. 
Um, but uh, anyway, it just was really impressed by just how those guys stepped up in the biggest moments. Not an easy thing to do against another talented team. Uh, it was pretty fun to watch. Yeah, let's let's start start off by the way Loyola started off with that big uh, eighty um, yard pass between uh, Sterney and uh, Four. They told us uh, after the game that um, fun, kind of a fun story there, where um, for those who don't know, Jake Sterney and Declan Ford went to grade school together, and they would always um, before the start of each game would do like a flea flicker play and just kind of you know do that play and then. Um, apparently, uh, Loyola offensive coordinator Tyler Brandenburg came up to them and said, hey, why don't you know? Why don't we do this? Like, it's a state championship game. Why, how comfortable are you guys in doing this? And um, Jake Sterney said after the game, I mean, you only live once. It's a state championship game. Why not? And um, I mean, asking the Lincoln Way East coach after the game, I mean, did you expect the flea flicker for Loyola's first play? And he's like, no, I mean, who expects that? Who expects the, um, to do a trick play on the first play? But um Sturney found uh, Ford. Ford said it. Um, that was the longest, most scariest moment of his life. Seemed like that ball was in the air forever. But um, they completed the pass. And um, really just it, it's kind of cool to see. You know, you always hear about all this cool stuff growing up. And, you know, everyone's together. But um, for these two, uh, Ford and uh, Sturney, who have been really big in what the Rambos have accomplished this season, um, for them to connect the way that they did in such a big moment for the Ramblers, um, kind of felt right, Joe. Um, just for the two of them to kind of play such a huge role um, in the Ramblers' win. Yeah, absolutely. And what they've done this year, um, as you said, has been so special that um, it doesn't always work out that way where, you know, you may have been um, some of the biggest playmakers or whoever leaders on the team throughout the season and maybe don't shine in the biggest game. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe it didn't happen. This game it did, um, which was really cool to see. Um, and that play, you know <laughs> – I was I was sitting on my couch watching with some friends um, here here in the suburbs. Uh, I know you were down in Champaign, but as soon as he threw it back to, I go, "Oh, he's going Ford." You know, I, I think I just said Declan Ford, and because I had a feeling, you know, once they flicked it back uh, to Sterney, uh, that's who he was going to be looking for because of um, some of the things you talked about um, and how big of a deep threat he is. Um, and then we were just talking about what what other offensive play is more surprising than that. Maybe if you called some sort of hook and ladder, I mean, what do we, this is schoolyard football here. And you call down the first play of the state championship. That's so awesome. Um, you know, biggest play, uh, I mean, biggest game of, uh, these guys career and they call schoolyard play and execute it to perfection, um, to the surprise many. And it's, you know, he was wide open, but it's not as easy as it looks in that play. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that can go wrong. Um, and that's why you don't run it all the time, but, so cool. Um, awesome as a play. And as you mentioned, their childhood friends. So that, that captured a lot of attention in the post uh, game presser, but uh, it's, uh, I couldn't believe it. Like I said, that was so cool, but for the X's and O's on the field, getting that early immediate lead um, and just kind of holding that over um, gives the wave of momentum on your side also gives your defense a bit of a cushion to, to maybe step and uh, relax a little bit. Um, not over relaxed, but not press, I should say. So, um, yeah, it was it was great. And it was great to see those two seniors step up. Spencer Ledbetter, another guy who's been key all year. He had a he had a big game um, just as a possession receiver and doing the things you need to do to win a football game. And um, you know, um, Jake Sterney performed like the All State player he is. 
Yeah, and I think going off of that, I think the biggest play, that that probably was the biggest play of the game, but I think the second biggest play of the game happened um, in the second quarter where um, Lincoln Waze is just going on an insanely long drive. Like, they've been getting chunk plays. They've been getting two plays. Uh, it seemed like they were going on forever in the second quarter, um, and they keep going, and uh, they keep driving until um, they get to the Loyola 14. Um, but they, uh, you know, they've been able to go for a long time. And then um, on on third down, you get a big sack by um, Emin McCarthy for the Ramblers. He just um, sacks them for a loss of nine yards. I'm sorry, they got to the Loyola five, and then they ended up at the 14 after the sack. But um, they get to the Loyola five, and then for Emin McCarthy to pick up that sack um, after um, there was after, you know, there's only 420 left in the second quarter after you know, Lincoln Way East has had the ball for the entire second quarter. Um, and to only give up three points, you know, Lincoln Way East gets, 30, 30, uh, gets three points off of a 30-yard field goal there. Um, that's kind of what we talked about last week, Joe, where you needed your defense to really step up and um, for, you know, Emin McCarthy and for the defense to step up and only give up three points and a very critical point because it's a very different game if it's 7-7 versus 7-3. And um, I think that was a huge stop that even, you know, both coaches talked about that kind of changed the trajectory of the game. It did. And we talked about um, – coaches talked about it, but we did too, that ter- because these teams we felt were so close in uh, talent, skill, and, and just overall, um, you know, how – you know, what kind of teams they are, uh, a turnover discrepancy is going to matter. Well, that sack is is close to a turnover, turnover adjacent, if you will, because it pushed yeah. them in the field goal. Um, it took away their momentum. It did so much. And just breaking down that play, no one blocked McCarthy. It was kind of a delayed rush um, because I think he saw he had an open lane. And right. for, him, for him to just stay balanced, knowing that Tisher can move so well, uh, I thought that was the most impressive part. He, You know, he didn't oversell his rush by just like sprinting at him he, he really stayed balanced and focused on his lane stopped him from going outside and and finished the tackle I thought that was huge and and credit also goes to the defensive backs for covering for so long um you know not that long but they did cover in five yards he could get the ball out really quickly um so uh credit overall defensive play but just huge by McCarthy to do that um it did change the trajectory. I thought, you know, um, you know, going from a possible, maybe even probable tie ball game to uh, seven to three, um, and then I thought other plays in the first half, especially happened a couple in the second half too. Is East took their shots downfield. You know, they threw some deep balls. They tried to hit Jimmy Curtin multiple times as well as uh, their secondary receiver. I'm sorry, I can't think of his name right now. Um, they tried to hit him a couple times too, talking over the top jump balls and none of them succeeded. Not one of them really credit to, um, um, to, to the secondary, to the cornerbacks. Um, Joe Auer especially had a couple of nice breakups. They went at him a lot and he, he rose the challenge each time. So I thought, you know, they hit one of those. I think it's a different ball game and they didn't hit any. And then uh, Jake Sturney on the first drive for Loyola in the third quarter finds Ford again for a 17 yard touchdown. Um, to give Loyola a 13-7 lead after a missed uh, PAT attempt. Um, And then in the fourth quarter, I don't know, it just seemed like Lincoln Waze never really was able to kind of put anything together in the fourth quarter. They kind of got to, like, midfield, and they were kind of threatening a little bit, but Loyola picks up a big, um, big, uh, you know, 
combined tackle from uh, Jack Parker and Manny McGovern um, to kind of force a turnover on downs on fourth and two for Lincoln Lease on Loyola's 43. And then, I mean, at that point, I mean, Loyola just picks up a first down um, and that pretty much is a game at that point. And um, I don't know for how there were some exciting games that happened over this weekend in Champaign, but that game kind of felt like an eight day methodical, like let's get a lot of drives. Let's have nine, you know, nine minute, you know, 10 pay, play drives. And um, it created a lot of fun moments, but at the same time, the end wasn't maybe um, as dramatic as we thought it could have been. Yeah. I think maybe for um, outsiders, not as invested as we are knowing these teams being reporters, um, following them around a little bit. Um, we know the names, we know the guys, every play is almost exciting. I don't know from outsiders, it might've been pretty blah, but they don't care. This is how they play football. And this is how they win games year after year, you know, eight, nine, 10 games every single year. So um, that's, it's kind of had a, we had a feeling it'd be like that. I think we, both of our um, thoughts were in the teens to the early twenties for a score. Um, so we weren't expecting anything high scoring. Um, I did think East would score, you know, so did they, of course. Um, they thought their their offense is dynamic. But they had – was that drive in the first half by East 16 plays or something? Yeah, it was 16 plays. I think it took – I mean, it, yeah, it was 16 plays wow. and then roughly took around like 10 or 9 minutes off the clock. And just to get three points off of that, I mean, that's just like so crushing, just not be able to get more than three not points and getting to the Loyola five. And then Loyola at the start of the third was kind of that similar drive. I don't think it was 16 plays, but it was in the teens or at least double yeah. digits. And they also took about seven minutes off the clock. Nine. They, what was it? Nine. It was, 11, it was 11 plays for 80 yards and nine minutes and 14 yeah. seconds. So, I mean, Over just nine. and they capped it with the touchdown. Yeah. So that's kind of the difference right there. And you kind of see maybe that, uh, the, the superiority maybe of their passing game and what they can do, the connections between Sterney, Ledbetter, and uh, Ford. You know, those that trio right there is just really good um, on long drives. Um, and that back shoulder he threw for the touchdown for, for Ford, I don't know how many did they have this year out of Ford's 15, 16 touchdowns, probably eight of them. Same to Ledbetter uh, are those back shoulder, let's, let the, let's throw it out of the defender's reach and just let our guys see if they can make a play. And they do a lot of the times. And uh, and Sterney can really drop it in the bucket in that spot. And that's what he did there. Ford just kind of did a twist and a nice little – yeah, you could call it a diving catch just to cradle the ball. It was really nice. Um, I thought that that was huge because I think you had to cap that drive to kind of just – those drives, as you mentioned, you, you need a touchdown out of them. Yeah, you, you suck a lot of time, but – you get that touchdown, it's more of a statement than anything. If the defense, on the other hand, holds that long drive to three, that momentum's kind of wishy-washy. It's not really on your side, even though you got the points. So right. um, it was it was a big one for the Ramblers. And, and you're right, on the fourth quarter, it just seemed like the Ramblers seemed to have their number a little bit. Maybe East was pressing a little bit. I'm not sure. Uh, but the Ramblers had it. And Jack Parker's tackle was huge. Um, we talked about him at uh, uh, Division One um, tight end. Um, that they brought in big, huge body to play um, on that D line and, and help stuff things. And he makes a play in the backfield. Um, you saw a lot of those plays all night. I think I thought Ethan Hogue played another great game at linebacker. Um, you, you saw John McGuire make some tackles in around the line of scrimmage, as well as some plays in the secondary. Again, he's all over the field. Um, Brooks Barr, you see doing some things um, all over the field as well. Just a big body making a big impression. Um, getting in on the quarterback a couple times. So 
I thought their big players really stepped up when they needed to. Yeah, and you mentioned it earlier, but that secondary, I mean, Coach Halasek talked about it after and just about how, um, you know, the pass rush is working, but that defense was really able to work because of that secondary and what they were really able to limit them. I mean, um, uh, Lincoln Way's quarterback, Tisher, completed 11 of 21 for 81 yards. Um, one of the bigger things I think that was pretty interesting is that uh, their star running back, Kaczynski, um, had 56 rushing yards. Um, he had 17 carries. Uh, his long, his longest rush was a six-yard rush. That's pretty much the key right there defensively. I mean, you didn't let him take over that game, and you didn't let him um, put up a big day. I mean, the quarterback, Tisher, had more uh, yards. He had 80 uh, rushing yards um, with the long of 28, so that kind of helped. But um, that Loyola defense just stayed packed, and that secondary really helped the um, rushing attack being able to, you know, kind of have some time and uh, create some opportunities there. Yeah, and – that's what we talked about last week is can Loyola just slow him down? I mean, he's a 1500 yard gainer this year. That's over a hundred. And I forgot uh, math real quick is, is not my strong suit, but 120 a game ish. Um, and to hold him down to half that is huge. Cause he's going to get a lot of carries. That's what they like to do on offense to open up their other options. And of course, both teams know that, but Loyola had to execute that, or I think they would have been in trouble They're If they're letting him get, seven per carry instead of a high of six or seven, uh, then they're in trouble. Um, but they were able to squelch that. I thought Tisher did a nice job of, of helping out in that run game, but really that was just kind of um, helping and not advancing too much. Um, not, not an overall um, killer for, for Loyal Academy. So um, great job by that defensive line, those linebackers making tackles of a guy who can break tackles. Great job by just their whole front. I think their defense just was just stepped up big against a really dynamic offense. Uh, Jake Sterney completed 14 of his 19 passes for 174, two touchdowns. Um, I think uh, uh, Declan Ford had 110 receiving yards. I think the really interesting story during this playoff run, ever since Will Nemesheim has uh, got injured, was um, what was his rushing attack going to do? And um, we've talked about it each week, Joe. I, I think that the Rushing attack for Loyola has been serviceable. And you saw it again this week where Ryan Craddock at 24 yards, Sterney at 29 rushing yards, and Luke Foster had 18 rushing yards. I mean, none of those numbers are going to like impress you or say, oh, that's where the difference of the game was. And um, Loyola managed, you know, this injury and they brought up some kids and, uh, you know, Sterney, Foster, and Craddock made some big plays when they needed to make some big plays on the ground. But um, for the most part, um, not having a consistent rushing attack um, didn't really seem to hurt Loyola, especially with Sterney at quarterback and really able to, you know, make big plays when they really needed them to in the air. Yeah, and I think that's just where Jake Sterney is just Jake Sterney. Um, I, while they're happy with Luke Foster's play, and I think uh, he did what he could, and so did, that offensive line is really good. You know, Lincoln Way East can stop the run just as good, if not better, than Loyola. That's what they do. That's what they, uh, that's how they, you know, make their bacon, if you will. So, um, so anything they can get on the ground is really just setting up what Sterney is going to be able to do in the air. And that threat of either Sterney running or Foster, just knowing that they will run opens things up even a little bit. And that's, that's just huge. Like you said, serviceable, um, Craddock doing some things as well. Um, and, you know, without those guys to, to get those bigger plays and, and even without Nima shine in the passing game, such a big threat in the passing game as well. Um, you're just going to have to look elsewhere. And they, they may do for 
the whole playoff run pretty much since um, Nimeshawn got hurt in week one of the postseason. So um, it's just a credit to, to that offensive coaching staff and those guys for stepping up for guys who were injured. Um, and by the way, who will be back next season. All right, Loyola wins its third championship championship under head coach John Holosick, fourth in the program history, um, third since 2014. Um, Joe, just what looking back at this season now, obviously they dominated for much of the season outside of that Mount Carmel game. Um, obviously, it ends with the state championship. What else do you really need? But um, how are you going to remember this year, you know, just with what this team accomplished and, um, you know, the way they were dominant for much of the year, the defense – um, how it kind of gelled together, how Jake Sterney um, really took control and was one of the area's best quarterbacks. I mean, just uh, what are you going to remember about this Loyola team and what they were really able to accomplish this season? I mean, it started with week one, right? We had we had the biggest matchup um, we've seen in years because of ESPN coming to town with their high school kickoff. Um, packed crowd. We had to get there two hours early. You got billboards on the sidelines. You got restrictions for reporters. It was like a, a college game right there. And, uh, you know, they showed out on national television. Um, now, St. X didn't turn out to be as strong as they normally are year after year. But, you know, that's a great program. And just to execute on that level, I you know, you got that feeling right off the bat that this team, obviously they're talented, uh, but they got something where they, in big moments, they're not scared or they're poised um, and they're ready to go. And that all started with Sterney, but they had a lot of other um, talent all around that could back him up. And uh, you kind of got the feeling right there. So, um, you know, then they kind of just took care of business. They had a bit of a tough time with, oh, I'm going to screw this up, uh, Marist, right? Yeah. Bit of a tough time on the road with Marist, but otherwise they just dominated the regular season until Mount Carmel. And that game turned out to be everything. We, I, I don't know. You really can't, blame uh blame's not the right word but take much away from Loyola for losing that game I still think they play now 50 50 maybe 60 40 to Mount Carmel um but it's they're really close teams and Mount Carmel beat them by a possession so it was really who got the ball last um almost because Loyola did um just miss on their last possession so um it's just an incredible season uh just some incredible players really uh respectable guys um you know i don't know about you but i love talking to these guys and uh, being around them they were um just high character people from what i saw with everything and obviously we don't see everything but they seemed great and they they executed at a high level they were poisoned there a lot of them are going on and play at the next level kudos to the coaching staff too um and some some underrated under the radar guys who played on that offensive and defensive line who did a great job all year it was just a it was a special team and you can compare it with, I think a lot over history. Um, and a lot of it we talk about over and over has to do with having a two year starting quarterback. Yeah. I think it was fun to watch, you know, the growth of the defense kind of, you know, led by Brooks Barr, who um, obviously is going to Michigan, but um, just watching the defense kind of put things together as they're, you know, kind of young and inexperienced. And then um, the offense just dominating right from the beginning. It seemed like Jake Sterney, um, came back right from the start and really wanted to show off what he learned from um, not only last season, but the Lockport loss in the semifinals last year. So um, it was fun to watch that. Those are a lot of fun stories that really took place this past year. So um, a lot of fun stuff and a lot of good talent that's going to be coming back next season as well, even though you are losing your two-way quarterback, you're losing your pass rusher, Brooks Barr, you're losing your two big tight ends, but um, you have a lot of experience kind of coming back next year. Um, especially defensively, which should be uh, interesting to see 
um, what this team is going to be able to do um, next year. But um, we'll talk, we'll hear more about them for, in the second quarter. And then um, I'll have some interesting uh, questions in the third quarter as well, pertaining to Loyola and also some uh, things that kind of arose this weekend in Champaign in um, way or no way, Joe. But um, what over the weekend, just I know you're watching some other games. Uh, what Mount Carmel kind of showed um, that it's Mount Carmel and one of the best teams in the state, or at least in the Chicago area, East St. Louis really put it to uh, Prairie Ridge with their Division One talent. Um, Nazareth Peoria was an electric game and a really fun story. Nazareth, uh, biggest comeback story ever. It started two, the season two and four and then went on to win a state championship. Um, what are some uh, games that kind of caught your interest this past week and, and some headlines that um, you thought was kind of cool? Yeah, I thought that game was great. You just mentioned the Naz Peoria game. I think that was the best game I watched um, over the weekend. Uh, I didn't catch a lot of the Friday games, but uh, most of the action on Saturday, so the high higher four classes. And uh, that was a great game. That was a good football. Um, I thought uh, I really wanted to see Peoria just because um, I, I like what they were doing this year. Um, um, but it was back and forth and, you know, pure came back early. And, oh yeah, that was, that was good football. Um, 45, 44, I think are so high scoring, so exciting stuff. Mount Carmel was Mount Carmel. Um, nothing I didn't expect there while rooting for Batavia again, just because, um, I knew they were the underdogs. Um, so if you don't have a horse in the race, why not the underdog? And, uh, I, it, Mount Carmel's that good. I mean, Batavia, no offense to them. Um, I didn't think they came in with much, uh, uh, outside of a puncher's chance. So, and they didn't get those punches in early enough. Um, so Mount Carmel just looked, they're spectacular. Um, yeah. So those are really the the two things that I enjoyed the most uh, rooting for Providence. Cause they're from my hometown, but I knew they were in for a, a tough one. Um, so that was, that was a tough one on Friday night. Um, but um, yeah, it's a good week. What about you? You were down there. What'd you, what'd you enjoy? That Naz, uh, Naz Peoria game was electric. I was, you know, covering that on the ground and tweeting and doing videos. And I felt like every time I like tweeted out, they were already on the other side of this, you know, field about the score. It was just like, I can't keep up with all this. Like, this is insane. Um, but really cool story for that NAS team uh, to really kind of come back. But they've always had the talent. It was just kind of like, are they going to put that young talent together? And it was cool to watch them do that. Um, big for Ken Leonard and Sacred Heart Griffin to uh, he ended his uh, longtime career winning his 500th, um, game that he coached and I think a long impressive career at that Springfield school um, I'm sure Providence will definitely be back um, I see Catholic who is joining the CCL ESCC next year wins a state championship in 3A really cool um, and with Lena Winslow winning 1A third straight championship and St. Teresa Decatur um, winning their first championship since 1979 um, most of the games are kind of blowouts I mean other than the I don't even know if you would consider the Loyola Lincoln Way East game a blowout, but I kind of felt it had that vibe of a blowout, even though it was only like a 10 point game. Um, but most of the games are pretty much determined at that point. I mean, only Naz and uh, Sacred Heart, or Naz and Furia uh, and uh, St. Teresa uh, were really the close games there. So um, some blowouts that kind of happens, I feel like, when we talk about this and how things kind of go into this, but uh, some really good football and always fun. Um, just check things out and uh, really see some good, uh, fun stuff. You know, just great moments for the kids uh, getting a chance to, you know, win a state championship and have that fulfilled is really cool to watch. It is. It is. It's a lot of fun. The weekend's good. And I'd say for the most part, you know, the at the weekend, they do a good job of 
of uh, presenting everything and um, uh, you know uh, televising everything. The broadcast is great. Uh, I just think like when you have year after year of uh, a majority, if not a high majority of the games as blowouts, don't you just check that off like, okay, we need to work on something something let's let's at least make a change to try to fix it and i think they're just averse to doing that i just you know they think they don't want to have too much uh input on how the seedings are done or how the classes are done they just want a formula to do it for them and stay hands off and i just don't think that's the ideal way to do it the formula's off the way they do it's kind of off and that's why we get blowouts you have to let's try to do better so we can have the best state championship games possible um We've talked about some of our remedies, so I don't need to go over them again. But I think when you see those things, the same things happen year after year, you either have a problem with it or you don't, and clearly they don't have a problem with it. Yeah, it seems like they're just happy with the way it is, and they don't want any uh, people being mad, even though people still seem mad regardless of what you do. But um, a fun weekend in Champaign, and let's uh, relive that here now moving on to the second quarter where um, we are joined by a bunch of uh, Loyola player, players and uh, Coach John Holosek. Um, just going to hear a different lot of things from the press conference, including um, talking about that trick play, what it means uh, to win a state title at Loyola again for uh, Coach Holosek to win it at uh, Illinois where he played collegiately and then for um, them to win against again at Illinois since uh, 2018 um, and like what the trick play decision like what making was like all that kind of stuff you'll hear now in uh, our interviews portion and especially first when Todd the offense coordinator when he, uh, when he asked, asked me like, what about this I go in the worst case it stops their safeties from coming down so fast so first play of the game taking, uh, taking the, that uh Safety coming down. I thought it was a, a great call. And a funny story. I mean, Declan and I, like, we went to grade school together, and that was our first play for every single game. So um, it's kind of cool to see that payoff. And just how excited were you when you found out that was going to be the first? Well, first I was play. excited all throughout the week. I mean, Declan and I were like, all right, let's keep the streak going with these uh, trick plays. And uh, it sure paid off tonight, and it was a great call. Declan, for you, what was that like? Just to be able to. See that ball coming through the air, you're wide open. Man, it was one of the scariest moments of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing that ball in the air, it felt like forever before it came in my hands. But, I mean, it's a fantastic deal. And as Jake said, we used to run that all the time. It's nothing new. You know, Coach Braver came up to me in the walkthrough before the game and said, you want this to be the first play? Of course I want that to be the first play. In the end, it Bad, and obviously a couple, you know, tough losses in the playoffs the last couple of years, and now to go out as a state champion. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, as kids, I think I can just speak for all of us. And we, we grew up watching World of Football, and I, I remember going to all these games and sitting as a little kid, hoping to be out there someday. So I can speak for all of us, but I mean, having a chance to win something like this, I mean, it comes, it's like once in a lifetime. So definitely the uh, motivation of uh, the Lockport loss last year, as well as the Mount Carmel loss, I mean, that definitely fueled us a lot. It was a big learning curve for us, uh, uh, both sides of the ball. So, um, in the end, it paid off. All right, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you, as always, to all the players and coaches who join us each and every week. Obviously, the football season is over, but uh, we'll still have a lot of great interviews each and every week. So um, 
always appreciate all the football players and coaches who were able to help us during the fall and um, excited for all the interviews that we have coming up um, this upcoming winter. But let's move on over now to the third quarter where we play our weekly game of way or no way. I throw out five propositions and Joe and I argue, agree upon whether they can happen way or no way they cannot happen. Um, let's start things off here, Joe, uh, with the first way or no way. Um, way or no way, uh, this Loyola offense is the most dominant offense you've seen in the past 10 years by the Ramblers. 10 years takes us back to 2012 or 13. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, you know, there's been, there have been some great offenses and players, you know, oh, okay. I still think so. I was going to say that that 6-0 and spring season, um, the COVID season, uh, they were pretty darn dominant, and uh, Vaughn Pemberton was pretty amazing. Um, and last year they were pretty amazing with Marco Maldonado, but that's not how they finished the season. Um, just some things that come to mind. Um, the, the Vaughn Pemberton team just didn't have the passing attack um, that this team did. Um, so I, I'd say, I'd say, yeah, the, the, just the overall balance of this team was so, uh, I think it's unique in high school to have that very equal balance. I mean, like I said, before the, um, um before the state title game, they had 2,500 yards passing and 2,500 yards rushing almost, you know, an exact split. That's pretty rare, um, in, in, in any level of football. So they did an amazing job. And I think that's a big key to their success. So I'll say, wait. Yeah, I think that this offense lived up to the hype. There was a lot about Jake Sterney coming back. There was a lot about this offensive line, about, uh, you know, having two tight ends who are going to college and that kind of stuff. And they knew that there was a lot of dynamic, you know, parts of this offense. And I think they lived up to it. I think this is the most complete performance you've seen from a Loyola offense, both like you mentioned, um, passing the ball and running the ball. Um, I think that's what makes this offense different. I think that they were just able to uh, – um, you know, really compete at a level that most high schools don't. I don't think it's very often you see a quarterback really able to stay in the pocket who's protected but who can also run and who has a rushing attack and who has good receivers who can, you know, make plays. And I think you saw that with that Loyola offense this year. And um, so, yeah, I definitely think that that's a way. Um, I think they're – I don't know. We'll get into this debate in the second question that I have. Like may, maybe there are the better offensive players in the past 10 years. I don't know exactly who. Maybe there are a few, but um, I would definitely say that um, as a whole offense, this offense was definitely uh, the best in the past decade, um, especially throughout the championship years. All right, second way or no way, Joe, I asked this last week and I want to, you know, revisit it, but way or no way that Jake Sterney is the best uh, quarterback in Loyola history? Oh, I the best I've seen, I think, you know, the more I thought about it after that pod last week, and, and I did say yes, but kind of uh, wishy-washy, uh, just because I wasn't sure. I, I do think he is that I've seen. I Maybe there was somebody outstanding in the, um, you know, 80s, 90s, before I was here. I'm sure there were. Uh, but in this, in a modern offense, uh, he really excelled. I mean, 36 touchdown, three interceptions, um, you know, 3,000 yards-ish around. Maybe it was... Um, the high two thousands. Um, he was really limited his mistakes. He ran for more. He made great decisions. He was just the epitome of a senior leader. You know, the guy you want behind center, who's going to take you places and put you in positions to win the game and your best positions as a teammate of his and as a weapon that he can use. And you guys work off each other. I think he did excelled at that. Um, I think it was pretty special 
he's a pretty special player. And I think, um, I, I do think he's going to have success at that next level too. So um, just because of all those intangibles and tangibles. So I'll, I'll say yes. Yeah. I think I'd agree with you and go with the way there as well. I think you've watched even like last year, you know, watching him from the beginning, how he's been able to compete and everything. He's completely grown into a really good pocket passer. Um, you're seeing him make better decisions um, as a pocket passer, obviously still not a full product, um, and he'll learn a lot as he goes to Colgate and um, learn from that coaching staff. But I think you saw um, just how good um, that Loyola, you know, how good of a quarterback he is, how smart of a quarterback he is, and um, took advantage of different scenarios. So I think definitely way um, this uh, Loyola offense um, definitely, or uh, sorry, I should say Jake Sterney, um, really was the uh, best quarterback and really showed that throughout the year, right from the beginning against that uh, on that ESPN game all the way into the end. Um, way or no way, Joe, that this uh, Loyola championship feels like the most complete championship of all three under John Holosek? Oh, now you're making me go back. Uh, I think 15, was 15 their undefeated season and then 18 was the one they had a couple injuries and um, started with a couple losses early and then ran the table. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. 18 was they beat uh, Palatine 24 to 22 to stay uh, undefeated on the season. Oh, they were undefeated in 18? No, in uh, 14. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 15 was a pretty good team. Um, if I remember, they, they did a lot of damage in this team this year, I guess, technically lost, but really they, I think Mount Carmel was so special this year. It's like, is this Mount Carmel's best team ever is a conversation that can be had. Although that's uh, going to be quite a debate among that crowd. Um, but it's a special team over there um, on the South side um, for the caravan and Loyola lost to him by five, basically by the, you didn't put the ball at the end zone at the end of the game. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, he played that game more, and I think it can go either way. So I really think these was a really special year at Illinois high school football, and Loyola was right at the top for all of it. Um, the most complete, ah, that's hard for me to answer. I, Out of those three, I'll say way. I'll say they were good all around. Yeah, I'll say way mostly just based on I had questions about the defense all season, and then you saw them answer those questions, especially in the playoffs and especially in the last couple games of the year where you really saw them put it together, battle some injuries. Um, the offense we talked about is very complete. So, um, yeah, I think that this team was definitely um, the most complete of the teams, especially just with what you had at quarterback. I think that kind of makes the difference there. Um, yeah, this Rambers team lost to Mount Carmel, um, but that Mount Carmel team is ridiculous, and we'll get into that a little bit later here in way or no way, but – um, yeah, I think that they're definitely the most complete and definitely. So I'm going to go with way there, um, as well. All right. Moving into the broader, uh, spectrum of, uh, high school football in Illinois. Um, six of the eight, uh, teams to win a state championship were Catholic private schools and has once again, bring brought up the whole, uh, Twitter world is, uh, back into, uh, you know, why, uh, separating different private schools and public schools championships, um, you know, with Mount Carmel and, uh, all these other schools being able to bring schools from different uh, zip codes. It was definitely a big uh, um, post-game emphasis for the losing coaches to say that they uh, were able to, uh, you know, win with their kids that they grew at home from their community as opposed to uh, the Catholic schools who are able to uh, bring in from different zip codes. Hmm. So 
Uh, way or no way, Joe, that private versus public is the problem, and we need to have separate uh, postseason brackets uh, to make it fair. I guess it's a problem, but I don't think it's the problem. Um, I mean, there's a much, there's multiple problems with the distribution of wins and losses on the football field. I mean, you know, money is a big one. Um, coaching is another big one. And, uh, but private and public, sure, that's a big one. I mean, being able to uh, grab kids, uh, I don't want to use grab because, I mean, it, for most schools, it is really kind of a respectable process, respectable process. But being able to take kids from outside your specific district is a advantage in advantage um, to being able to just in your district, no matter how big that district is. Now, that being said, there's other problems at play. I think, you know, I don't think you have to separate them. I think that waters down everything. Um, I, I mean, separate them, then have a championship with them all. I don't I don't I, I don't. I, that doesn't pass the, the test for me right away. I think you need to just be more conscious and hands-on with how you put them in classes. You know, Providence Catholic is not a 4A school. They should not be playing down there. Um, that's just one example, by the way, I'm not picking on Providence Catholic. First one that came to mind. Mount Carmel, they play 8A schools all year. It's an 8A school. It should play in the highest, most talented bracket. So I know it's an enrollment and then kind of your – your formula that you make for the private schools, but it really should be kind of a prestige thing and, um, you know, a talent thing. You know, these bigger Catholic uh, private, what a private schools should be in 8A and 7A, and that's just how it should go. Um, and then will we have, you know, Loyola versus Mount Carmel then every year? Not every year. I just think, um, I think that's the best way to do it. At least you have some more, parity and the lower classes that way um i'd have to kind of i i think it's a problem i just don't think it's the problem i don't think separating them completely is the the right move a lot yeah, of I'm, a lot of people not just the school communities of course a lot of fans and a lot of alumni love watching these schools play each other you know that there's nothing wrong with the linkway east loyal academy game that's a very high level quality game and i think they're both elite elite teams so um it's not i don't think that solves the problem is separating completely yeah i would go with no way and i think you made a good point and i saw michael bryan from the sometimes talk about this as well because he's i've been getting a lot about it in my stories and i know he's been getting a lot about it in his stories too about the private versus cat or private versus public and um, I honestly probably would agree with him in his thought that money is a bigger issue there. I mean, you have wealthy um, school districts who are able to do stuff, but then you don't see as much success with maybe, you know, not as affluent school districts who are able to, you know, fund, you know, good coaches and TVs, you know, traveling. Like, and I'm not picking on Lincoln Way East, but Lincoln Way East bought huge, like, flat screens to, you know, champagne so they can, like, look at tape right away. And, like, a poor school is not going to be able to do that and, like, use their funding to, you know, use their funding to buy TV screens for their football program. And, mm -hmm. I mean, Catholic schools do that, and private schools and bigger schools do that as well. So, I mean, money is definitely a factor there. I don't think separating is going to be what kind of fixes this problem, if you want to call it a problem. I think, you know, private schools have boundaries of within where they can grab kids from, and um, they have the multiplier. I think you just need to multiply more, like you said. Like, I think Mount Carmel should be playing in 8-8 football. I mean, I think – 
this is a completely different topic, but I think East St. Louis should be playing in 8A football as well and not playing in 6A because they bring in a lot of kids as well. So, I mean, it's just um, – I think there's different ways of solving this problem, and I think it's also, like, looking at it differently, but I don't think separating the kids and um, saying that that's going to be a solution because, honestly, not all the private schools are – good at football. It's not like every single Catholic school in the CCL, ESCC has made the playoffs. And, you know, they're, it's only like a semifinals filled with Catholic schools or private schools. Like a lot last year, only two private schools won the state championships. And I didn't really hear much about this. So um, I don't think that that's the solution. I think you need to um, figure out the multiplier. You got to make sure that, yeah, maybe, you know, this school has 700 kids, but they can go within these school districts. You got to put them up two classes higher or something like that. I think that's the solution as opposed to, you know, just separating everything and washing down a, a playoff that sometimes seems like it's already washed down, especially during the weekend of championships. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's, it's a multi-pronged issue if, if we see that happen and I think we can fix it and do better. It's just, we got to have the uh, proactivity to do it. Uh, we just have to, dig in and actually solve the problem rather than just sit on a formula we made years ago. Um, if, if we think it's a problem and I think, I think enough people do. All right. Final way or no way here, Joe champagne was the host for this past uh, state championship. Now um, that contract is up and IHSA will be looking for a new host um, to uh, host the state finals um, for, I mean, as long as I can remember, um, it's been one year it's in Northern Illinois once and one year it's at U of I because U of I um, and it's Big Ten schedule. Um, IHSA has asked for, they don't want to do that anymore. Apparently they just want to do one host every single year. Um, so uh, way or no way, Joe, that um, the IHSA should just stick with what they've been doing, you know, splitting it up every other year, or whether they should um, go to a school, maybe like Illinois State or something like that, and um, have that every single day, every uh, have the championships there every single year. Well, I'd love to hear the rationale behind that. I'd love to hear the logistical concerns they really have about switching it up every year. Like, I know it's more comfortable and it maybe makes planning a little easier to have it in the same place, but what's it's only two places and it's every year, not every week. Uh, so, uh, I think, that, you know, having a full year to get your affairs in order to set it up at Northern or in DeKalb versus Champaign, I I just, I'm not seeing some, I, I bet I'm not seeing something. There's got to be something I'm not seeing that's a real logistical nightmare. And if it's not, then I don't know why we're switching it up. It seems fine to me. Those are two big schools, two good, you know, quality football programs. People get excited to play in those stadiums. Um, so I, I know it looks a little empty, um, which is, you know, uh, it can look kind of weird on TV, but I, I can tell you that the players are, are excited to play on a field like that. Um, so I think they shouldn't switch it up, but who should take it? Uh, I mean, Illinois State would be fine. That's also, you know, a Division One program. Um, I don't know where else. Soldier Field doesn't make much sense to me. Uh, maybe if they move it to Arlington Heights when that opens, that'd be interesting. Um, but then, of course, that's right in the middle of uh, – football season although we play we'd play friday Saturday. anyway um that'd be interesting um but we have a lot of football colleges around you know there's what else we got north central uh there's Illinois wesleyan has a football team I and mean, there's other there's other stadiums that are grandiose uh for high school kids to play in that would be cool 
Um, you could play at SeatGeek Stadium. I know that's been thrown around a lot where the Fire used to play and where the Red Stars play. That's like a good like size for like a high school football game. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a bad one either. That's nice. It's just usually used for size. You know, we're talking about doing this all for the kids and the communities of these schools, I would assume. What's the best thing for them and not the best thing for the logistical team at the IHSA? I know we we uh, <laughs> we, we uh, barb the that I just say a lot, but I don't, I don't get the problem here. I really do feel like I'm missing something very obvious. Do you, do you know, what am I missing? I, I, I don't really see what the problem is either. And I, I think it's just interesting. I mean, just based on, um, I mean, I feel like you get the best of both worlds. One year you go up North, you go, you know, you go up North, but then every other year you like, you know, you appease, I don't know if appease is the right word, but you make it easier on the Southern and Central Illinois schools to want, who can't, you know, who it's hard to travel and all that kind of stuff. So um, selfishly, I would want to keep it in Champaign because that press box is, I mean, it's a big 10 press box. It's huge. It's very nice. Um, Northern Illinois isn't as nice or anything like that, but um, Northern Illinois is fun because like it's smaller and you get like a better, you know, you get a more of a high school environment where sometimes in Memorial Stadium, I mean, a 60,000 seat stadium, it's kind of hard to kind of, you know, get the, get the motions in there, even though, you know, that happened a lot this past weekend. So um, I would go with no way. I don't know why you need to change it, why it really matters. Um, if you have it one place every single week, if it went to Illinois state, I'm sure it would be fine. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's just a lot that goes into it. I mean, kids like, like kids want to play for the flagship, like university and play, on that field like play on a big 10 field or play at a max field. I think that, that that's cool. Like kids want to do that. And they want to, you know, they want to be at the facilities where, you know, U of I is their new Smith center now. And like, that's a, you know, multi-million dollar facility. They like get to experience that in the locker rooms and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And I know Brett Bielema is really big about keeping it there because for recruiting and making that the home for Illinois football. So um, yeah, I think there's no reason to change it. I'm going to go with no way. I think, just keep it the way it is. It's not broken. I don't, I honestly do not hear of anyone complaining other than maybe media members complaining about the small press box. But like, if that's the worst thing that happens, like, I don't, I don't know what the problem is really, you know, alternating and making, making sure that everyone is happy as opposed to, you know, maybe appeasing one thing or um, having something steadfast. We're like, like you said, we don't know the logistics of it, but like how difficult can it be if you know it's happening a year in advance to plan it out and just get everything together. I don't, I don't know. And I, I don't really understand why you need to have one location every single year. I hear you. All right. That's everything that we've got for way or no way this week. And that's pretty much all we've got for football. Um, it was a really fun season to talk about different things and obviously some great stuff to talk about in way or no way as well. But uh, let's move on over to the fourth quarter. Well, we'll dive into the winter sports season. Um I have one more thing on football that I wanted to mention. I actually, I should have mentioned the first quarter, but I thought it was going to be in your, um, in your five questions. So that was my fault, but I just want to say Ramblers are going to be back next year and it might not look like it because they're losing kind of some weapons, especially ones that performed on the big stage, but we're going to have Will Nemeshine back at running back, Drew McPherson back at running back, Joe Kelly back on the defensive line. Um, a couple other Ethan Hogue back in the, to lead the linebacking core, who's going to be a star. Um, so and we're going to fill in positions. They got a couple quarterbacks. We'll see what they do there. But I, I, I think it's going to be a different looking team. 
but we're still going to have some weapons here that are going to be pretty exciting next year for the Ramblers. So just shout out to, to all they did this year. And, and I'm looking forward to next year already. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what's a countdown now? What are we at? Like 363 days or 362 days or. Until I definitely has the countdown going down and getting ready uh, for all his magnets, but um, let's move on over now to the winter season. Um, Joe, I know we're pretty much, we're a couple weeks into, uh, the girls basketball season and both Loyola and Nutrier had strong starts to the season. And I know that you covered that double header for both the boys and girls basketball teams on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So, um, how, what have you kind of seen so far about our area teams and just, you know, some encouraging things that kind of have you excited for the winter? Yeah, starting with the girls, I think both these teams, Nutria and Loyola, are good. And I, I say good. Nutria is much improved. Loyola is not falling much of anywhere. Uh, I say they went to the super section last year, as we talked about. Um, it's a very good team led by Paige Angles and Kelsey Langston, both juniors, but who, who played a lot of uh, – had a lot of tick last year. Uh, they're very good. They, they've stepped up their offensive game. They're in a more of a leadership role here. And that defense is just as good as ever. And it's what we've come to expect um, from the Ramblers. You know, the game I saw, they held uh, Nutrier to 26 points, um, I think it was. Um, and they had a, both teams had an off shooting night. But um, I think that other team's very good. You know, Nutrier um, has kind of been building. They had a real, um, for their standards, uh, definitely a subpar year last year, but I was really excited about this three-headed monster they got coming up with Rachel Zachs, uh, KJ Sicaro, and Cela Klein. Um, unfortunately, Cela Klein might be out a bit. Who knows how long she hurt her wrist in that Loyola game? Um, she's the dynamic player, can score from the outside as well as um, you know uh, get to the rim. Um, Rachel Zachs does both as well. She's their um, she's their senior leader. She's really good. Um, she's kind of an all-state caliber player. Um, but you're going to see them take a step up. Their defense is really good too. Um, so watch out for um, Nutria. They took a top, couple losses to the top, I think top 15 teams, if not top 10 teams in Stevenson and Loyola. Um, the boys game also a bit of a slog as kind of what you expect on the home floor of Loyola. Just, you know, I thought coach Scott freaky for Nutria put it, uh, put it very succinctly when he said, if you're going to beat Loyola on their home court, you're going to, kind of have to rip their heart out um they're not going to let you take it and that's kind of what you know they both had to go toe to toe and and battle for every loose ball every rebound and um it was a tough one um i think nutrier had had more of an offensive attack on this day you know coach uh coach livetino with uh loyola said that his team can score and they didn't show it but he they can it should be a strength of theirs um but they were kind of this was an off night for them also an off shooting night for nutrier um, but they got the job done um, on that night. So I think Nutria is going to be good. They took another loss in the championship game of that tournament to St. Ignatius, who's a top 10 team right now. Very good team. Um, and, um, you know, they got some some stars on that team, including Kendall Gilson, I think his name's Phoenix, um, who's only a sophomore. So that's a, that's a team on the rise. No, no Phoenix pun intended. Um, but I think we're going to watch Nutria. Um, they, they have a loss already, which they only had, what, like three last year. They might have more losses this year, but they're, I think they're a front runner with Evanston um, for the league title. A lot of people say GBN's pretty good. Um, I just want to see that team play a little bit. 
Um, but uh, look out, Nutria is very good. They got some guys filling in. Um, you might not know their names yet, but guys like uh, sophomore Colby Smith can score the basketball, junior Logan Feller. They're going to be a very good shooting team. Um, and they got another seven footer. Um, well, Jackson Monroe last year was only six nine, but uh, this they got a six six ten six eleven guy in uh, Tyler Van Gorp who can do some things inside. So, Nutria's good and Loyal's much improved with Alex Angro and Miles Bolin and tough defense as well. So, um, it's going to be a fun year of hoops for sure. Yeah, I was going to say. So what you're saying is we're going to have a good winter of uh, basketball in the area. Maybe I'm just hyped right now because um, it's the beginning of it, but I, I like what these teams are putting out. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. All right. Any other winter sports, uh, highlights or anything you want to talk about before we say goodbye? Well, I got to get out to wrestling. Um, and I know both boys swimming on both Loyola and Nutria is going to be pretty good. Um, Highland Park girls basketball had a nice opening tournament. I think they went three and two. Um, I just gotta, I gotta catch some wrestling and I'm excited to do that, but, uh, we're, we're, we're on our way here in the winter sports season. So really gets ramped up at the start of the year, but we'll get some Christmas tournament action for you too. Yeah, definitely. Well, obviously always sad to say goodbye to the football season, but it's always fun to kind of look forward to hoops, especially when we got good hoops in the area. And it seems like we'll have that. So uh, looking forward to the winter and what uh, is going to happen, but that's everything that we've got for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you as always for listening. Um, congrats again to the Ramblers on winning the 8A state championship. Another great season for Coach Holosek and his team. Uh, congratulations to all those seniors as well, um, making lifelong memories um, uh, for the upcoming uh, year. And uh, like Joe said, a lot of the Ramblers are going to be coming back, so it should be a fun team to watch next year. And we'll race looking forward to the summer camps and everything seven on sevens as uh, we get ready for uh, the next fall. But just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to the podcast anywhere that they're available. Make sure you like us and listen to older episodes as well. We've got good stuff there. We're usually right about our predictions. You can check it us out. Um, we're always right. So um, check us out about that. And then uh, give us a nice little review. We always appreciate it. Um, if we're not on a uh, podcast streaming source, um, that you listen to podcasts, let, it know, let us know, and we'll edit uh, there as well. Um, make sure to check out my stuff at Friday Night Drive. We've had uh, huge coverage from this past weekend in Champaign, coverage of all eight games, all different storylines, um, final power rankings from Steve Susie, um, and some final thoughts about uh, the weekend that was a state. Um, obviously, we'll get recruiting uh, back into recruiting information soon as signing day. Um, is a little bit later here in December. So uh, we've got some players covering uh, who are going to be signing as well. Uh, so make sure you check us out there. And then as always, subscribe to the Record North Show, uh, not only for sports, but everything else that Joe is playing together. Make sure you uh, subscribe there. And um, we're recording this on Giving Tuesday. So if you feel like doing giving a little giving to uh, the Record North Shore, make sure you do that. Um, and if it's not Giving Tuesday, we'll still give because it's always good to give um, to your favorite nonprofit uh, news source. But for Joe and I, thanks so much for joining us this week. And we will talk to you guys down the road. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Varsity uh, product of the record, northshore.org, your nonprofit local newsroom.